You're listening to Bridge the Gap Season 3, a podcast dedicated to inform, educate, and influence the future of housing and services for seniors. Powered by supporting partners, One Day, TIS Insurance, The Bridge Group Construction, and Salinity. Learn more about this podcast at btgvoice.com. Welcome to Bridge the Gap Podcast, the senior living podcast with Josh and Lucas. We have an exciting show related to design and infection control. Today on the program, we have Shannon Romali. She is with Meyer out of Pennsylvania. Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much. It's great to be back here with you guys. Yes, uh, we've had you on before uh, to talk about design and architecture, and it's 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 always been a really good conversation. Right now, this the state of affairs with COVID has everybody asking a lot of different questions about how do we address infection control from a design and physical plant perspective. You guys just put out a great study that goes through in detail five main points that people can take away and learn from to help implement this in their own communities. Why don't you talk to us about it? Yeah, no, great. Thank you. um, I'm happy to be here and share. So yeah, as the pandemic swept in, um, it became apparent to us very quickly that we really needed to uh, look and evaluate how we were designing for senior living. Obviously, across the board, design and architecture is evaluating um, what we're faced with. But senior living specifically, as we all know, has been, um, you know, very much impacted by what's happening around us. So what we put together is a package we're calling readiness design. And as you mentioned, it's, it's five uh, categories and it's really a awareness, applications, a toolkit. Um, that we can look at and making our communities just safer and healthier for uh, residents and caregivers. So what we looked at across the board was layout, flexibility, technology, uh, building systems, wellness, and materials and finishes. So, and I, I think we put it together, it was really important to us not, um, not to make a knee-jerk reaction, right? So there's been a little bit of that in, in, in the industry as well, uh, but we really wanted to not not sacrifice the identity of the senior living industry and, and what it's worked so hard to become over the past 15 to 20 years, um, but really look at it based on experience, research, and, and most importantly, what we're hearing from our operators and, and what they're facing out there and, and what the market's looking for. Yeah, that's great. And talk to us, you said something there that kind of piqued my curiosity um, to not depart from what senior living uh, has been rooted and grounded in. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I, I think I think the industry has made such progress and really basing its model off a of hospitality and residential versus an institutional model. Um, and it's very easy when you're looking at something um, like infection control to, to default back to that institutional model. Um, but I think one of the things that we've all learned is that there's, there's many facets to our health. There's, there's mental, there's social and there's physical. And, and right now, of course, that that's where we're focusing importance on as, as we're in a certain situation right now. But we just want to look at buildings holistically and, and just not lose um, the progress that the industry has made and that the progress that we all hope to see for it in the future as well. I, you know, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. And um, I don't want to chase too many rabbits here because we would, we would have an extremely long show. We could talk <laughs> a long time. But I, I, on that point, um, I'm wondering if you have any opinion as I... Um, I've been talking with a lot of regulatory agencies. Our industry is kind of a, a state regulated business mm-hmm. for the most part. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously even the regulatory agencies are scrambling to determine what should be 
minimum standards for these communities uh, for infection control that obviously impacts all areas from clinical to life safety code and things like that. And, and, you know, sadly, um, just in my very limited influence, I think one of the easy, easy buttons um, for regulators is to tap the, the language button and try to basically pull things out of much more higher acuity settings that are much more sterile institutional environments and drop that in. And that's kind of a fear, I guess, I have as an operator to the point you made of like, wow, we've worked so hard to have culture change and impact um, the environments. And um, how, how do you think we're going to navigate through this with the regulatory agencies? How's that going to be impacted? Yeah, I, I think the industry has a big hurdle as far as just education. I, I think for us that, that live and breathe senior living, we understand the different uh, continuums, right? From skilled to active adult, assisted memory care, independent. So I think education to the market on the different uh, levels of senior living, I think will be very helpful in us navigating the regulations that come after this. I know we have some clients that are, are making that a priority in, in just their marketing efforts just to educate the public on, on what senior living is. It's, it's become apparent as more people are talking about it, how, how it's all lumped together in, into one category uh, to the general public. So I think, you know, educating uh, will, will help us move forward in that path. I totally agree. Um, well, what we're hopeful for is even conversations like this on the Bridge the Gap platform with experts like you and, and providing that education can can help spread. So it seems like there's, you know, these. if we wanted to, to bundle a couple of groups out there in senior housing, as far as owners go and developers, there's those that have communities that they're operating and they're, they've been working nonstop um, to care for their residents, um, to uh, do the, the best infection control they can. And they're thinking of, what do we do to make our communities better? And then there's this group of people that maybe had projects in construction um, or they're in design phase and they're thinking, oh my gosh, um, we need to rethink and reevaluate a lot of things. So take us down some of these areas that you're leading people down these different thought paths um, through those processes. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the first things I'll touch on it as far as layout goes is just flexibility. Um, and, and that's certainly not a new term. We've been promoting that in designs for a long time, but it's, it's, it's like now that next layer of flexibility that maybe we weren't thinking about before. Um, you know, when designing buildings, we're always looking at, you know, smaller rooms connected to become one larger room. But now maybe, you know, those smaller rooms are next to an elevator that go down to the commercial kitchen that allow flexibility for multiple smaller dining venues in the future. And so it's really just adding that extra layer of, of flexibility into the layouts that we're looking at. Um, that's something um, that, that we've been evaluating with a lot of our clients on our newer construction projects. Um, I think it's interesting because projects we're designing now that are new construction, right? They might not open for about three years, um, but we're in this mindset right now. And so I think Again, um, flexibility is going to be key as I, I think the only consistent right now is that everything keeps changing. Um, and so that's something we're looking at. Also flexibility to outdoors. 
Um, as people became very isolated, I think one of the things that I know I, I felt for them was just the lack of access to outdoors and how important that is and how we can really prioritize um, the ability to have that access to outdoors besides on that first level. If we have to cluster people in smaller groups or in their, you know, in their apartments, how, how are we going to enable them to, to have that? I just think there's such a health benefit to that access to, that, to the outdoors. That is huge. Um, so um, can you give us any kind of behind the scenes? Um, you talked to us about maybe the dining and, and elevator spaces, but what are some practical ways that um, people are thinking about how to connect people to the outdoors? Yeah. So, you know, there, there's very simple um, ways that we could do it with, with, you know, flexible doors that open up to the outdoors. But I guess when you get up to those upper levels is where it tends to get a little more challenging. and um, you know, again, not necessarily new ideas as far as adding outdoor decks on those upper levels or green roofs, maybe even for independent or active adult looking at maybe Juliet balconies. I think it's just reprioritizing um, where we want to spend our budgets, I think is what we're seeing a lot of. A lot of the nice to have have become must haves as, as we're navigating this. And so the priorities, I think, have really shift on where the budget goes. And um, brainstorming those ideas have you seen um a shift to thinking about um i hear a lot of talk but i don't know if it's if it's impacting design yet but i hear a lot of people talking about um all the hvac and things like that to where uh, you know basically their uh, their ability to be flexible to isolate uh, units um, to isolate wings and and things like that, but to be able to do it in a in a manner that it doesn't feel like a an isolation wing um, mm -hmm. in a much more institutional setting. Um, are you all dealing with that actively? Yeah, so we've been working with our engineering partners to to evaluate. You know, that's one of I think one of the biggest things people are looking at. Right, is just the quality of the air, the air circulation, and so. We've been working with our engineering partners on that and, and what that looks like. Um, and it, it kind of dovetails into technology a little bit because I think the building systems have a lot to do with technology. And uh, one of the investor partners of one of our developer clients, I was, I was talking with them today and they said, it's almost like this has pushed us into 2030 right now. And I thought that that was such a great statement because it, it has it's, it's things that people were like, maybe down the road now are like, yeah, we, we, we need to do that. The market's expecting that of us now. And so I think we're seeing a lot with that, with building systems and technologies. Well, on the front of technologies, that kind of leads me to thinking also on um, the socialization piece, the mm -hmm. re maybe people refer to it as resident engagement. Obviously, in a community setting, that's one of the big factors for a long time that um, we in the senior housing business, we know that that's a big advantage of moving to a community is to prevent isolation, which is what happens in the home with COVID. It's kind of like the great equalizer, right? Because we're trying to get people to, to stay more isolated, um, which is, can be a little counterproductive to, to what we're promoting, but are there ways and creative ideas that you're seeing emerge where we can still even by the design of the building or design of the technologies, kind of reimagine what resident engagement and technology looks like in senior housing? 
Yeah, I think, you know, we're looking at, so the technology, as you said, it has, technology is a funny thing, right? It has the ability to disconnect people as well as connect them. And I think right now we're seeing how much technology can connect people across the board, right? Um, Especially in senior housing. So we are looking at how do we build the ability to have technology into spaces that we didn't do before, Um, you know, even something as simple as, as having a telehealth room, uh, having the flexibility to have that. And inside the apartments, having the, the technology in there that allows people to connect even if they're isolated in their rooms. Um, and then looking at the next level of technology and how it can all connect together and talk to each other um, and really getting into that, the complex system of that as well. So, yeah, we're, we're looking at it um, as far as the social engagement. There's a lot of potential for how it can keep people connected. Uh, how are you guys interacting right now with your clients? I mean, you know, I think a lot of, um, at least when I've been designing communities in the past, um, you know, it's so many meetings face to face and so much. Um, how has technology equipped you guys to to interact and, and, and interface with um, the designs of buildings right now or redesigns of buildings? Yeah, I mean, I've spent more time on Microsoft Teams and Zoom than I've I've ever known possible, as I'm sure most of the world has. Um, And so, uh, you know, we've been using that a lot to connect with people. Um, You know, we have, we've, you know, the world is slowly starting to open up a little bit more and having uh, more in-person collaboration, we think is so important. But we have, we've been using, um, we've been using the technology to move forward with buildings and designs. We use a lot of visualization at our firm. Uh, to help clients envision what spaces are going to look like. And so that's been very helpful for us as well in this environment that we still have that tool where even if we can't be in front of them with materials and finishes, we're really able to fly them through a space and they can envision it. So uh, we've been fortunate that we've been doing that for some time and it's been very helpful um, during this time of separation. So let's kind of round out the show. What are the another maybe one or two categories that you mentioned in this document that are important for our listeners? I think wellness, um, I know we've talked about in a couple ways, but wellness encompasses so many things, uh, you know, physical, mental, social. And one of the things that I've really seen get a lot of attention um, is the well-building standard, um, which really excites me as a designer. I, I believe in a lot of what it promotes. Um, and again, I think that falls into the, it was a nice to have, and now people are looking at it a little differently. Um, and, you know, depending on where you fall with wanting to actually be certified, but just the principles behind it are getting um, a different level of attention. And I think that's really exciting. And we're seeing that um, really heavily talked about right now uh, compared to before the, before the pandemic. And so um, I think that that's exciting. It's not only helping residents, um, there's a lot of operational components to the well-building standard, and it has so many benefits to our caregivers, which I think we've all seen how um, important and valued they are through all of this, too. So um, with all of us spending 90% of our lives indoors uh, to really think about the impact that the built environment has on our health um, and people really paying attention to that now is, I think, you know, one of the positive that's come out of a very, a very negative situation. So, well, my question from, you know, um, I'm trying to think about, you know, um, we've got a diverse audience and there's probably some folks out there that you just piqued their ears. Right. And they're thinking, yeah. oh, gosh, I love that. But what is it and how difficult is it 
to achieve this well-billed standard? Yeah, so I, I think uh, probably most of our audience is familiar with LEED, right, which is very focused on buildings. Um, and the well-building standard is, is more focused on people. Um, and so it's something that is very not just design and construction, but also operationally based. So it's really a collaborative and comprehensive uh, rating system. It's, it's a living certification that happens every three years. And so um, it's, it's an investment in, in, in creating a healthy building and an environment. One of the interesting things the well-building standard has done, they've created a COVID task force. Uh, which Meyer is fortunate to have one of our principals, Phil Burkett, uh, sitting on. Um, and they put together a health rating system as well in response to COVID. Uh, so there's also uh, that layer on top of it um, that I think has piqued interest um, in, in our clients as well. Sure. Well, and, and pivoting off of that, uh, to Josh's point is that, you know, many of our listeners, uh, they may be, you know, in operations, they've kind of got their head down into the hard work that they're doing and hearing these terms like the built environment, you know, well-built standards, uh, wellness impacting, uh, wellness and design impacting actual operations. Um, that may be some new concepts to some people considering that the majority of the industry works in a building that was probably built between 1990 and 2005. So, um, give us a, maybe two or three practical examples of wellness as it impacts operations and design. Right. So I think, um, Something I could focus on as far as wellness, in fact, in impacting operations is the well-building center has a whole nourishment uh, component to it. It's solely focused around um, how you promote healthy, uh, healthy habits surrounding eating and nourishment. They also have um, components around fitness, right? So those are very operational based that you don't necessarily need uh, a new shiny building to make happen. You can kind of look at those principles and how you're operating your building and how you could uh, promote those healthier habits. Um, you know, on the design side, the, the light section has a lot of great um, components as far as uh, circadian rhythm lighting, which I know is something I'm very passionate about. I think that our lighting, um, not just access to natural light, but our indoor lighting, really plays a big part um, in, in how we respond in an environment. And so that's something we're actually implementing on two projects we're in design right now with. Um, and so kind of giving a little bit of a design piece of it and a little operational piece. Um, that there's a wide range of, of different things that you could look at to implement in your building, you know, depending on new construction or existing existing building. Okay. Great examples. So what, uh, to, to finalize, what's the last category that you think is most important to talk about? I think, you know, we talk a lot about building systems, which are so important, but when you look at a senior living building and what people are, uh, interacting with on a daily basis, it is the materials and finishes and, and some of what are smaller elements when you're putting a bigger building together, but have a huge impact, um, on people. And so I think, you know, in our materials and finishes, we really looked at, um, you know, what what we want to do to promote health and safety, but again, not revert to that institutional model. Uh, we don't want to go back to, you know, an all vinyl and hard surface uh, community. And so we tried to identify different areas, whether it's uh, countertop surfaces and, and, you know, high touch surfaces, how we can do that, um, no touch 
elevators or doors or plumbing fixtures, right? So those things that people are touching and interacting with every day that make them feel a little bit safer as they're traveling from their apartment down to dinner and stopping to visit with a friend. Um, those are the things that people are interacting with every day that can really, um, you know, make them have a little more peace of mind uh, that their community is making those steps to keep them safer. So um, those things we touch and, and feel every day. Those are great points, Josh. I mean, uh, just it's sometimes when uh, you know, there's a term, how do you eat an elephant, right? One bite at a time. And some of these things like that you're mentioning, Shannon, it's, um, you know, this can be overwhelming, but if you boil it down to, okay, well, what are the simple, most basic aspects of the daily life of a resident inside of congregate care? And let's talk about those. Let's analyze those things. Handrails, elevators, dining, things that happen every single day. Those are really great points. And I think they're great starting points on a conversation so that people can start to eat that elephant one bite at a time. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've, we've spent, you know, we've invested in really, you know, being in communities, sleeping over at them, traveling the path of them. And so you really start to highlight those things, as you said, like, what is the average path of travel of someone, you know, through a community in a day, a resident, a caregiver too. What does that look like? And you start to really see what they're interacting with. Exactly. Well, and then that goes back to your wellness and design, all of those aspects. Josh, any thoughts? Yeah. Well, you know, I'm just sitting here uh, thinking, gosh, uh, it's overwhelming to think about eating an elephant in general. Uh, so I'm just so glad we don't have to eat these elephants by ourselves. Right. So um, the partnerships with folks like you, Shannon, out there that do this every day, work on design. So thankful for your time, what your team is committed to every day with coming alongside our industry and helping us be better and coming out through a difficult situation, even better on the backside. So thanks so much for joining us today. No, thank you so much for having me. So Shannon, I know our listeners are going to want to get their eyes on this document. Um, so how can people connect with you and Meyer? Yes. Yeah, so we have uh, links on our website uh, to this document that people uh, can go on and click on and take a look at and read through some of the elements and additional that we talked about today. Great, great. We'll make sure that uh, Sarah, our producer, grabs that link. And so people that are listening right now, you can just scroll right down on your screen into the show notes and grab that link and connect uh, to that document as well as Shannon and Meyer. Thank you so much for your time, Shannon. Appreciate you being back on the show. Hopefully we get to see you at another conference as soon as possible, whenever that's safe to do. <laughs> I know. I know we're all missing the synergies of conferences. So it's great. You guys are moving things along on the podcast. Yeah, you got it. Well, Josh, uh, you know, as we say on uh, most of our shows right now is that we're really rooting for all the caregivers out there right now. A lot of these communities, executive directors, the administrators, they have not had days off. This has been months and months and months of lockdown for them where, you know, most of the world is trying to get back to whatever they feel is normal while these communities are really still isolated. So our thoughts and our prayers go out to everybody that is doing this work. We're rooting for you. We love you. We care about you. You are not forgotten. Um, and, you know, we just hope that this has been uh, some education and some inspiration for you today. Thank you. Thanks everybody for listening to another great episode of Bridge the Gap. For a full library of episodes, merchandise, and the 2020 conference tour schedule, visit btgvoice.com. Join the conversation on social media by following at btgvoice, and we'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode.